Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter on today's episode is poet, musician, and lover of theology, Cameron Brooks. We've enjoyed our summer break, and a lot has happened since our last episode back in May. Our church has moved into a larger building, Cameron and his wife Jenny have adopted a new baby, and we've all been working our way through a fascinating and challenging chapter of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Repentance, restoration, and repair have been our themes. What should we do with our own sin? How should we deal with sins against us? What remedies are there for ongoing sin in the church? And how much forgiveness is too much? These are the questions we've been asking, and in this episode, Cameron and I are going to discuss what Jesus' teaching means for a church like ours, where we don't want to just talk about forgiveness, but actually practice it. We've been talking a lot at Grace recently about forgiveness and and grace. In your sermon series, Pastor Mark, especially in Matthew 18, we've been focusing in on on reconciliation, on forgiveness, repentance through the teachings of Jesus. And on the one hand, I think forgiveness is so commonplace for Christians. We talk about it a lot, no matter what we're doing, hopefully. On the other hand, it's something that it's worth pausing over before we move on from these texts to consider in more depth, I think. Not to say your sermon wasn't deep enough, <laughs> but I enjoyed it so much. I've enjoyed this chapter really so much that I think it'd be nice to pause and talk in particular about what it means to build a culture of forgiveness at mm-hmm. our church, to become people who actually practice these things that Jesus taught. And yeah, so I, I think on the one hand, we can talk about what it means to build a church culture and how that how that works. And and then on the other hand, maybe the more theoretical or, or theological topic of of what it means to to forgive other people. So you've done some of that in your sermons already, but I'm sure. curious to to start off, maybe a question is high level what does it mean to be a church that is forgiving it's a great question because it is one of those things i do think we take for granted you know i i have to say for myself that one of the surprising things to me about preaching through matthew 18 when you consider that this is often billed as a discourse on the life of the church that it is all about really the reality of sin and what to do about it. And when you think about, you know, Jesus teaching us how to build the church and what we should be focused on and that sort of thing, you're just expecting a different topic, you know, not that it's going to be focused on the thing that I think a lot of people imagine is the problem that's sort of solved at the entry point of the church. Yeah. You know, like we we become members of the church when we confess our sinfulness and turn away from our sin to Christ, and now we're moving forward. So 
surely the life of the church as a topic should be focused on on things like how to be spiritual, uh, how to be like a person of deep faith or something like that, not uh, what to do about sin. Mm. And yet that's the focus. And we've seen Jesus tackle it from various directions. You know, he's talked about repentance and reconciliation. He's talked about church discipline, what to do when, when people won't repent of their sins. He's kind of given us really like a, a full picture of the sin problem from, from every different angle. And the thing we keep coming back to is the need for forgiveness. You know, we ended Matthew 18 last Sunday by seeing Jesus insist that there is no cap on forgiveness. You know, when Peter says, hey, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? Which is a generous number because the rabbis would have said three, but Jesus says, no, 77. You know, he's he's magnifying that number, essentially saying it should be limitless. You know, you, you can't put a uh, distributor cap on the engine yeah. of forgiveness. And so when I think about what that means for our church culture, it's that our church needs to be a place where forgiveness is practiced. And the thing is, uh, forgiveness can be you know, very challenging, right? It can be hard to forgive at the best of times. And so a forgiving church, I think first and foremost, is going to be a church that makes it easier for its individual members to show forgiveness, right? That supports disciples as they try to forgive and as they work through all that forgiveness entails. A forgiving church is going to be a church that that encourages that forgiveness, that models forgiveness, that bears with people as they struggle along the way to, to be forgiving. All of those things, I think, are part of what a forgiving church would look like. And to the extent that that, that isn't how the church, broadly speaking, looks, seems to me we have a problem. It's interesting the way you're, you're talking about the church's need to be patient with people learning to be forgiving. Is that what you're saying? That they need to have a, a kind of tolerance for people's intolerance or their their slowness to be forgiving? I think there's some truth in that, yeah. that, that um, in, in a lot of different ways, you know. So Jesus gives us the scenario of what to do when you're sinned against by a brother or sister. And obviously that implies that <laughs> the the problem of being offended is not going to end once you join the church. And yet, when you ask people why they exit the church, oftentimes it's that sense of the hypocrisy of other people, that these people who claim to be uh, good Christians were cruel to me, uh, Again, not realizing, not taking into account that the church is a kind of, you know, hospital for sinners and that part of the life of the church is dealing with the reality that all of us are both offenders and offended against. 
And so what Jesus is giving us in, in Matthew 18 is a way to do sanctification around that problem of continued sin. But I'm not blaming the individuals who feel that way. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to the extent that the church has not made it clear that this is a thing that happens in our community and we're focused on doing it well, you know, managing the sin problem, as it were, addressing it well, that that's on us. You know, if we've been focused on something else, then we need to to refocus where Jesus has the focus. Yeah. Maybe there's a helpful distinction to draw here. I'm, I'm thinking that you use the word forgiving, and I think you meant it literally like as a verb, or gerund, and then there's there's forgiving, and then there's the act of forgiveness. And um, that distinction I'm drawing, I mean, like sometimes we use the word forgiving as kind of gracious, synonymous right. with gracious or kind or tolerant, and we know that Christians should be those things, but actually forgiving someone is a lot harder. I think getting to a specific sin that needs to be forgiven because of something you said last Sunday, which is that forgiveness is about taking on a debt or taking on a loss of a kind on your shoulders. And once you realize what that loss or debt is that you're assuming, it becomes really difficult to, to let it go, to forgive. And so maybe, maybe that's a helpful distinction, maybe not, but I, I can see that we understand Christians should be forgiving and nice and or gracious, loving, let's say, but to take on those burdens and those those debts voluntarily and joyfully is is a, a challenge. I think it is, and you know, we did an episode not too long ago uh, before our summer break on the cost of discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic. And you might think of the cost of forgiveness as being like a subset of the larger cost of discipleship. That um, I think a lot of times when we talk about being forgiving or being gracious, the thing we're thinking of is a sort of attitude of niceness uh, that isn't very costly, right? It, it it's it's like let's be the kind of people who don't take inordinate notice of the inadvertent ways that people give offense. You know, like someone misspeaks, I'm going to be gracious and forgiving and not call them on it, something like that, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? It's not very costly to give people the benefit of the doubt. It actually makes you probably feel better about yourself. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. oh, I'm such a nice person, I'm not going to call them out. Right, and so I think a lot of times we we, we talk about forgiveness and graciousness in a way that makes it sound more like a, a magnanimous pose or something like that. Uh, when Jesus gives the parable of the unmerciful servant in contrast to the merciful king, that kind of forgiveness is costly, right? That's the forgiveness of a debt, and and that's different. You know, there are a lot of very gracious people who would be very polite and overlook any, you know, misstatement of yours or or bad manners you might show or something like that. But if they were called upon to forgive an actual debt, you know, if you owed them money and they were asked to walk away from that debt, that would be a challenge, right? And so when we think about forgiveness... 
it might be better to follow Jesus in, in thinking of that idea of forgiving a debt and the reality that the debt has to be paid by somebody, right? And if it's not going to be paid by the one who owes it, then essentially that loss is being taken by the one who's doing the forgiving, yeah. right? So the act of forgiveness is costly. Uh, when you're asking people to be forgiving, you're asking them to do something that's sacrificial. And I think we see that in extreme cases. You know, if um, someone commits some heinous crime against you or against your your family, um, we don't turn around and say, hey, I know that, that you know, your, your loved one was murdered yesterday, but it's really important that you forgive the murderer. You know, in an ideal world, like like we want you to come to the point where uh, you could be forgiving, but no one is going to go to you the next day and say, "Hey, you know, you need to you need to work on your forgiveness letter or something like that," right? Uh, and, and I think the reason is we have a, like a sense of the gravity of the debt, like we we realize what a big ask that is in a way that. Um, these minor things really aren't right. And so to the extent that all of our thinking about forgiveness is oriented around these minor debts, I think it has a flimsiness to it. Whereas Jesus situates it around enormous debts, right? That, that are unpayable really, uh, that can only be forgiven or the person who owes them is sort of cast into this horrible punishment. When you start thinking about forgiveness that way, I think there's a lot of weight to it, yeah. right? And and the difficulty of it becomes apparent. And you can only forgive when you have been the one offended, right? So maybe that's one way to identify if you're just being kind and gracious or if you actually need to forgive is if you, you have directly been offended in some way so that there is a, a debt to be settled. Is that, do you think that's fair? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. That, that, um, the, the more directly you're impacted, mm-hmm. right. The, the more the debt is owed to you, yeah. uh, you're in that position yeah. because right. If it's, yeah. if it's not really owed to you, then it's an easy thing to say, oh, that's no problem. So the, the money, money example that Jesus gives is instructive, I think. And then there's the huge examples, like you're talking about like forgiving a murder or something, but in what other sense do we shoulder a burden or a debt when we forgive in day-to-day life? Can you think of other examples where I might take on that that debt in, in forgiveness? Yeah. But it's not I mean, like literal money? I think that there is, you might think of it as, um, there's psychological and social debts, let's say, that are entailed in forgiveness. There are... Uh, perceptions uh, for example uh, you know if you show forgiveness to someone who has sinned against you in some grievous way uh, there's always the potential that other people will think you're wrong to do it or foolish to do it uh, it will cost you in the sense that the the harm was real and and hurtful you know that you are choosing to not demand retribution even though you were harmed um, all of that has a cost to it it's not financial but in some ways um, some circumstances maybe that's a greater cost than than just money you know and so there is 
a an ask to forgiveness yeah. that's demanding something of us that's that is truly sacrificial and because it's truly sacrificial it's it's not easy and so i think that's that's the the key is that i think we talk about these things all too often as if they're they're quite easy <laughs> and that it should come easily to people to be forgiving in this way i don't think it does you know i think as as sinners like ourselves we are prone to selfishness and we are much more likely to stand in our rights and know that we are aggrieved and want that satisfaction of justice and that's totally understandable to forego that uh, can be really difficult I think what makes it harder is when you have a community that doesn't support you in it and what makes it easier is when you have a community that does and I think that's where the church plays a role or ought to play a role that an individual disciple who's seeking to be forgiving, who wants to show forgiveness in the case of repentant sin, needs a community of other believers who understand why they would want to do that and are supportive of them in doing that, who can support them by maybe sharing their own experiences, by giving them encouragement when they're not sure, what they should do by maybe helping to um, like buffer some of the judgment that is incurred when you forgive people who others say, no, you should punish them. Um, All of those things I think the church can provide as support, even if it's something as simple as just, you know, having a a small group where uh, other people who hear, you know, your need can not only say, yeah, that's really bad and I feel for you, but can also sympathize with your desire to show forgiveness and can kind of encourage you in that. Um, I think in in the same way that we would want to walk alongside each other in, you know, physical loss, suffering, uh, sickness, things like that, that walking alongside each other in, in our attempts to show forgiveness that's a big deal. I, I think we should probably note uh, uh, that Jesus, when he talks about this, is talking about like forgiveness towards those who repent. Um, that, again, like this is not a, it's not like an attitude, right? It's not an attitude of, of uh, not taking things to heart. It's not an attitude of, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones kind of a thing, you know, like, like it's, it's not an indifference in other words. Um, and it's not, um, it's not just a like personal perspective. Like we're talking about a situation where someone has, has committed a sin, harm has been done. And that person has turned from that, has acknowledged the sinfulness of the action, has repented of that sin, who seeks forgiveness in, in terms of the parable who cries out for mercy. Uh, mercy, not not justice. And then it's up to the person who's been aggrieved to make that decision. That's the context that we're talking about. That's helpful. 
because I was in the back of my mind wondering like, hmm, do you have to know if, or does, you know, does the person who's offended you, do they have to know that you've forgiven them and, or can you just brush it off? But I don't know if that's legitimate forgiveness if, if like you said, they haven't come to you in repentance and asking for that forgiveness. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, I think there's there's probably, you know, gradations that yeah. we could acknowledge, right? Yeah. That I'm not saying that that you should just harden yourself and, and basically say, you know, everyone who's offended against me should get what they deserve unless they've come to me and begged, you <laughs> yeah. know? I mean, obviously having a disposition towards forgiveness, even when other people don't fully own or acknowledge what they've done, uh, letting slights um, go, you know, and not bearing grudges, all of, all of that is, is virtuous. All of that is Christ-like. Um, but really, when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about um, like an acknowledged fault and actual repentance. And, and the reason for that is important because when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he is calling us to forgive on the basis of the forgiveness that we have received. Right. So when you think about the the human act of forgiveness, you have to imagine it as a kind of uh, shadow or a reflection of the template of divine forgiveness. And so there needs to be a parallel. Right. So in the same way that uh, divine forgiveness also involves repentance on our part, that we wouldn't say the gospel is we've offended against God, we've sinned. And even though we haven't felt bad about it, God's like, eh, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. You know, I mean, I don't want to, I just want to be, you know, gracious and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there's a, yeah. a way of, of if we <laughs> superimpose on God's actions, that sort of blase, human, I don't want to take things to heart approach to forgiveness, we get a distorted sense of, of what forgiveness is. It's, it's certainly not a biblical idea. So, so the, there are these you know, really important aspects in Matthew 18 and, and repentance, acknowledgement that this is a sinful action, that, that this is a transgression, it's wrong turning away from that and the seeking of mercy is all part of it. Now, obviously as good Presbyterians, we would say that movement of the heart and that seeking of, of mercy, that acknowledgement of sin, all of that is, is fruit of a spiritual work that God does in us. Um, but at the same time, like that fruit's important to see, right? So I, again, I, I think it's important just in the context of forgiveness that, that we acknowledge that Jesus is not talking about a situation where someone is constantly abusing you, never acknowledges that, that what they're doing is wrong. And then Jesus comes along and says, Hey, you just need to, you know, keep taking it kind yeah. of a thing. I mean, there, there, there is a turn the other cheek aspect but as I said in the sermon, Jesus isn't a doormat. He's not a passive enabler of abuse or anything like that. So it's important for us to kind of try to keep these categories, you know, distinct in our mind so that we understand what we're talking about. Because 
that helps us on the church culture aspect, right? So that's the other component of what you were asking is basically how do you, how do you create a church culture that encourages forgiveness? And, um, you know, I think sometimes when you talk about this stuff, people think that's a weird kind of question because surely all churches kind of have the same culture, but cultures like gardening, you know, and if, if you don't actively pursue certain goals, what you get are the default settings, uh, which are usually weeds, <laughs> right? So there's, there's a lot of weeding that has to happen, a lot of kind of investment. If you want certain outcomes, you've got to push back against the direction things usually go. And I think the direction things usually go in human culture, and, and this is true for church culture as well, as well as into kind of a, like a, a best behavior, moralistic kind of thing. Right. And so in the church, you would see this where the church doesn't seem like a, a place where forgiveness is talked about because everybody at church is so well behaved that no one would need to be forgiven of anything. Right. That forgiveness and the need for it is a past tense thing. And by the time you're in church, you're already beyond that. And I think that's the, the impression church often gives. And it's the reason why people who are then sort of bruised or wounded by others in the church feel um, shocked and, and like there's some kind of dislocation that uh, takes place because you're given the impression that stuff like that doesn't happen in the church when the reality is, of course it does. Of course it does. And so essentially as a church, we have the option of being like a culture where everybody is well behaved, but the reality is we're just turning a blind eye to the offense that we give to one another. We're pretending not to notice it, but when it's really egregious, people are wounded by it and they can't just ignore it. And so they've got no option but to just drop out. Yeah. Or we can be a culture that acknowledges sin in the church, that doesn't ignore it, but rebukes it when called upon to do that, uh, where an individual who sinned against isn't on their own, where there are other brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to come alongside them and be their witnesses and, and pursue that justice with them, where there are elders who are willing to, to hear the situation and render judgment. All of that stuff is part of being a culture of forgiveness, right? Where we're seeking reconciliation. And the thing is, I think that if you're in a situation where the offense against you is not against you alone, where there are other people who feel it and, and encourage you and support you as you endure it, where all of you are seeking the repentance and restoration of the offender and you have a kind of you know, community oriented towards this, that forgiveness becomes easier. You know, like not easy. It's it's never easy, but I think it becomes easier to live as we should live when we're all trying to do it together. Yeah, I I'm thinking now that part of the challenge in a moralistic culture, maybe, is that 
I know that I'm supposed to forgive people and yeah, that might be difficult, but I'm willing to do it. But the, you know, the one who's offended against is in the kind of a position of power. Yes. And obviously the person, the, the person who's done the offending is at the mercy at their mercy. I think it's just as hard to ask for forgiveness is what I'm getting at as it is to forgive. And I'm trying to think of what Jesus's teachings would say to someone who struggles to ask for forgiveness because you might not get it or you might, people might think you're nuts or like, I don't know. And it's hard to acknowledge that I've really wronged someone. It's easier just to let it go. it's, It's the fundamental struggle of human beings to do that right um that's the reason why repentance from sin is something that we struggle against and and we seek to dodge uh in any number of ways and i think the core difficulty well let's say there's a twofold difficulty so one is pride Right, because there's a a humbling that's necessary in order to repent and seek forgiveness. You have to humble yourself. But there's another aspect, which is the turning away, because there's no repentance without turning away from the offense. And usually the offense was the fulfillment of a desire. And we want to fulfill our desires, not deny ourselves. And so I think like the reason why you, you, you get a lot of people who deny the offense on the one hand, um, or deny that I've sinned, right? Mm -hmm. Just in general, or, um, who may or may not acknowledge, Hey, that wasn't the best thing in the world to do, but have no intention of denying themselves in the future is because that's kind of core to, let's say the fallen human project, Mm -hmm. right? That we are all about our pride building ourselves up and we're all about fulfilling our desires. And when you ask me to humble myself and to deny myself, um, you are asking one of the hardest things. And as a result, I think, People don't want to seek forgiveness, right? We, we harden ourselves. So that's true psychologically, interpersonally. That's true in a larger sense, in a gospel way, right? That, that the, the same thing that prevents, you know, the offender in a relationship from seeking forgiveness, restoration, is what prevents a sinner from seeking those things, mm-hmm. right? So again, we're, we're talking about deep gospel stuff that's also very personal relational stuff as well. It's, this, it's the same problem. You know, the, the interpersonal is a symptom of the larger human problem. Yeah. And the, that gives you kind of the window into the inconsistency, right? That, that we're constantly every Sunday talking about the big sort of cosmic aspect of this. But when it comes to the personal, you know, individual application of it, we're sort of not talking about it. Well, isn't it enough for me to, so say I acknowledge my sin in my heart and before God, I know I've 
maybe I know I've wronged my brother or sister, but I confess that to God during our silent confession of sin on a Sunday morning. I think I have God's forgiveness and assurance of pardon. Do I really need to go to my brother or sister? That's a great question. Um, and, and I would say it, it really depends. You know, I'm not saying that uh, every single offense is one where you would need to seek someone out and, and ask for that forgiveness. Um, obviously, you know, uh, if I thought unkind things about you during the week, it might be counterproductive to say, Cameron, guess what? Wednesday afternoon, I had a really unkind thought about you and here's what it was. You know, maybe I'm, I, it would be better to keep that to myself, right? Uh, confess that to God. However, Jesus is talking specifically about, if not public, at least, you know, visible offenses, right? These, these aren't internal, they, they're out in the world. And we're encouraged when we suffer these offenses to seek justice, right? So a, a good way for me to know that I need to seek forgiveness is when the person that I have offended against comes to me as Jesus encourages them to do and says, you have sinned against me uh, and it's not right. So in that scenario that Jesus lays out, some of that ambiguity is removed. Now, again, we need to be a church that encourages people when they've been sinned against to make those judgment calls about, is this the kind of thing I bring to someone or is this something that's like, you know what, I can, I can um, take this one in stride. This is mine or whatever. Um, recognizing though that, that ignoring people's sin is not helping them in their own sanctification, right? right? So that there's, there's actually a, a way that we serve one another by being willing to call attention to offenses against us, right? So in that scenario, in a culture that encourages us and supports us in confronting these things, I think it makes it easier on everyone, right? It makes it easier on you as the one offended against to say something about it and to seek that repentance. It makes it easier on me as the one who has given offense to have an opportunity to make restoration, you know, and actually uh, address what I've done. So having said that, of course, the hardness of our hearts is what makes the easy stuff hard, right? And when we're offended against, we're tempted to react badly to that, right? Hold grudges and and that sort of thing. And when we offend, we are tempted to, you know, harden ourselves and and in pride refuse to, to seek any sort of restoration. And so, again, having a church that helps us push back against those tendencies is important. And the only way to have such a church is for the members of that church to take this stuff seriously and to, and to work at it together.
Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.